This is a time of intense change. The world has turned upside down and the world has learned to live with the new reality, the new normal, but the life must go on in all sectors and all fields. In addition, human beings are incredibly adaptable, as we all know, and we have faced this challenge in the last 70, 80 days, and we have adapted to it. We have shown this in all kinds of fields, including education for all kinds of age groups. We're defining new ways of providing and consuming education. COVID-19 is pushing the digital agenda for education faster than ever before. That's exactly what we're gonna be talking about today. Arin, welcome to the podcast. Any thoughts on what COVID-19 is doing in the world of education from your perspective? Hi, Anand. First of all, it's a real pleasure to uh, join you today. COVID-19 has done a lot to the world of education. It has accelerated some of the changes that we thought we need to make. And it also has demonstrated that actually we can make those changes as well. Education and particularly higher education is very traditional. Not many organizations like change, particularly the well-established big universities. But COVID has you know, brought us this change. And whether we like it or not, we, we have to change. And I think this would change the course of future as well. Um, not necessarily everything. There are lots of good things that, that we are doing right now. And uh, I think during the course of uh, this discussion, we'll be exploring some of these changes. Welcome to the Knowledge Institute podcast, the Brilliant Basics edition, where we talk about digital disruption, design, and future work. The topic today is an exciting one. We're going to talk about the future of education. I'm Anand Verma, European Head of Digital Services for Emphasis and founder and CEO of Brilliant Basics. We're here with Dr. Harin Selahewa, Dean of School of Computing at University of Buckingham, and he's also a reader in computer science at the university. Harin, thanks for joining us today. Anand, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on this uh, podcast. Most welcome. Before we talk about the two big topics, right, which is one is the education generally and your journey has been pretty phenomenal from a student at the university and becoming a dean at the same university, which uh, which I'm absolutely delighted about and proud of as well. We're going to talk about two topics. One is uh, education and the future of education, uh, and especially with COVID-19 situation how that's changing the role of education and the way education is getting delivered to all kinds of age group and people. And the second topic, which is very close to my heart and our hearts, I would say, and we've talked a lot in the past, is this entrepreneurship, but entrepreneurship with the lens of education on it, right? So how does enterprise and university collaborate together and create new things that wasn't possible before? But before we do so, Harin, the listeners would love to hear more about you, where are you from? What's your background, you know, and a little bit of backstory about you. I'm from Sri Lanka. I grew up in Sri Lanka, did my tertiary education there. Up to my advanced levels, I, I studied maths, physics, chemistry. I always loved computing. I think from a teenager, I always wanted to be a software engineer. I believe one of my uncles who lives in UK had huge influence on me. You know, when, when he used to come to Sri Lanka on holidays, he would bring computers. Uh, I forget the name, but they had a little tape. You had to put the tape in, take a book, write your basic codes and so on, and you get a game. So that's where I started. And after my A-levels, I always wanted to go abroad to, my, to do my higher studies. And I thought I'll come to UK 
finish my degree, work a couple of years and return to Sri Lanka, be a software engineer. But as, as it always does, life has a different path. Came to Buckingham, did my two-year degree. And when I was coming towards the end of my degree, my project supervisor, Professor Sabah Jasim, he offered me a full scholarship to do a PhD. And uh, I very happily took on that offer. And uh, my PhD was on biometrics, face biometrics on mobile devices. Finished that, I got a chance to work on an EU-funded project just over 10, well now 13 years ago, I came back to Buckingham, initially as a researcher, then lecturer and various roles. And now I'm the dean of the school. So that's, that's a journey. That's, that's absolutely phenomenal. And congratulations for achieving everything that you've achieved. And we met a few months ago talking about our collaboration. And before we do so about that part, Harin, you know, we are, we are facing, like I started the whole podcast with, facing unprecedented challenges, uh, at the same time, opportunities as well. With regards to COVID-19, how have the things changed from your perspective, being a, an academic, being a, uh, somebody who was also a student back in the day? You can, you can understand from both perspectives. So the audience will love to uh, hear about how have things changed in the last you know, seven, eight weeks. So, you know, at Buckingham, we are, we are really about small group teaching and, and having that personal one-to-one uh, conversation. So when COVID-19 happened, mid-March, when we told, well, that's it, we had to all stay at home. Essentially, we had two weeks to transform our normal face-to-face teaching model to online. And not just online, all staff members everybody has to be working from home as well. Luckily, those two weeks were right in the middle of our two weeks break. So no teaching. So we had time to prepare ourselves. And also quite luckily, we had uh, some of the tools already in place. So we we were using Microsoft Teams uh, within the university. So it was a case of learning all the features and how do we make sure that we continue to offer the same small group that close one-to-one support and engagement with our students. So those two-week period was really interesting. You know, we, we had regular meetings with my team and also at the senior exec level, we discussed how we plan for this remote learning. We had flexibility in different schools in terms of what tools, technologies to use because it was a trial period for all of us. And um, yeah, and we managed to get through it created some opportunities as well, things we couldn't do before. So interestingly, for example, all our online live synchronous uh, lecture, we, we are able to record them. In our normal way, we, you know, it's a face-to-face delivery. We don't get a chance to record lectures. And being able to record a lecture means our students can go back and watch them at their own, in their own convenient time. We were able to use online quizzes, so regularly quiz students and make sure that they understand the work that they have been doing. And also from a, from a staff perspective, I found that we got together more often than when we were in the physical building. So we have virtual tea, virtual coffee. We still have a Friday, our virtual get together at the virtual bar. And now everybody comes. Whereas before, not everybody could join these sessions. You know, they had to go home, their families and, and, and whatnot. So yeah, it was ex- exciting times, many, many challenges as well. And, I, and I'm you know, happy to look at some of those things as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and I think we are seeing the same in our um, studios and offices as well. There's much more frequent camaraderie to come together as a team over both formal and informal setting like you're describing. And it's good to hear that, you know, teachers also have fun when uh, students are not looking. Now, talking about, you know, an important aspect, I was watching the BBC News last night and, you know, they were kind of interviewing some students from an university about some students are deferring their program to next year. They're saying, you know, why would I pay the money to go into university and not have the student experience, right? So especially because Buckingham runs in a slightly different way than some of the other universities, what do you think will happen? And also what's your guidance to the students listening to this podcast about what they should be thinking about and doing? First of all, I had to declare my conflict of interest just in case if anybody missed the start. I'm a dean of a school and, you know, for us, it's important that students do start the programs, whether in our coming September start or, you know, Buckingham has a January start as well. So there's that conflict of interest, I, I must declare. This is something I've given a lot of thought and it's important for students to look at the broader picture. It's not about should we go to university in September and maybe do some courses online or should we defer next year? The broader picture is that thousands have lost jobs already. So they are likely to be in the front of the queue when recruitment picks up again, whether it is you know, later in the year or next year or even year after. And then there's a group of graduates, you know, hundreds of thousands of graduates who are finishing about now or in a couple of months, they will be looking for jobs and they have to compete with those who have uh, you know, sadly lost their jobs. It's a difficult time for those graduating. And same way we have 2021 graduates entering the job market next year. So in other words, those who are looking to start in September, they are going to be in a situation where when they enter the job market, there will be a big competition. And those who already have experience as well. So that's the kind of thing they had to think about, you know. And also, if somebody defers, what are the options? It's unlikely that you could travel the world in the current circumstances. You know, normally you could take a gap year, travel, and, and it's sometimes a really good thing. But in today's environment, those opportunities are unlikely to be available. And not just travel abroad, but also look job opportunities abroad because every country has the same problem. So again, I'm, I'm not going to say straight away, take up the opportunity to upskill, reskill at a time when it's going to be very difficult to secure a job. And my advice in general, upskill and reskill, whether you go to university to do that or do that in other ways, this is a time that you know, you should think about that and be prepared. So when the job market picks up again, you are in, in front of the queue. It's really well described. And I think, you know, what is really interesting, and at least at Brilliant Basics Infosys, we always talk about lifelong learning, right? We talk about learn to learn, learn to unlearn and learn to relearn. And I think what you're describing is really an important lesson, actually, because you can't go anywhere, right? Everything is locked down. So why not take the opportunity to use this time to learn? And that brings me to the next point, 
in terms of the traditional higher educational institution, and I know that you're representing University of Buckingham as a dean, so I understand the conflict of interest part, but I'm also keen to hear your views as an individual. Do you think that traditional universities and higher education institutions will survive to be in the bricks and mortar world, or they have to evolve to operate in more of a hybrid model, if I may, right? Digital and physical. I'm sure this is a topic that you are discussing internally with your teams, but love to hear your thoughts on how you're thinking about the future. So if you look at the context kind of before COVID, HE sector has been under huge pressure, whether it is on, you know, VC pay, value for money, student satisfaction, and, and so on. So therefore, universities have had to change before COVID. What COVID has done is it has accelerated the need for change. It has also shown that technology is capable and ready to make that change. You know, when uh, nearly 10 years ago, when the first MOOC was introduced on AI by the team at Stanford, there's a big thing about MOOCs and everybody thought that's going to that's going to be the end of brick and mortar university. I am sorry to interject. Describe MOOCs for our audience, please. What is yeah, MOOCs, MOOCs are massive open online courses. They're kind of bite-sized courses, but they've now expanded into nano degrees. You have a collection of MOOCs together, you get a you know, small degree. Of course, that really hasn't put any, any universities out of business or nobody has to close down because of MOOCs. But it's not about closing down, it's about a new business model for universities. And I think the hybrid approach where you continue your face-to-face delivery plus adding the online approach. So COVID has shown all staff members, and I I know some staff are, for a variety of reasons, are not necessarily keen on the use of technology online learning. Maybe because we felt it's not possible, it's not effective, but COVID has shown that, yes, you can do it. So I do feel that the universities have an opportunity to expand their face-to-face offering. And, and I see what I would call like a, a cloud type of a you know, university offering where it's flexible, it's elastic in the sense, if I start a course with a small number of students, I don't have to recruit lots of staff. I can recruit staff from anywhere in the world as a visiting lecturer and they can uh, deliver a module. It is almost like a pay-as-you-go type thing. At the moment, if I need a visiting lecturer, I had to rely on somebody from UK and even nearby to Buckingham to come and deliver. I don't have to do that anymore if I have an online. My students are online, my lecturers can be online. And when I want to expand, I get more. If I want to uh, you know, shrink, I don't have to worry about having large pool of permanent staff. So again, in short, we are seeing a move towards a hybrid model. Keep, keep the best of face-to-face because I don't think you can remove the face-to-face element. Because there's so much more that we, we learn from each other just by having a chat over a coffee or even after we finish the lecture, we are going out and stopping and have a conversation. And you can't do that remotely. I love the word elastic. And I think the whole flexibility part becomes easier. I think people 
who gave up learning because they had to be at university, they will start to kind of come in to be the new consumers of learning as well. So this should only create more opportunities. I like this whole concept of hybrid model as well. And I guess Buckingham, given its size and strength, this should only provide more opportunity to use the flexibility of Buckingham to kind of tap into the new kind of new horizons. Uh, I also like this quote from Jeff Wiener, who is uh, the CEO of LinkedIn. And he said that the talent is distributed equally while the opportunities are not, right? And I, what I really like about that is what you are saying, right? The next professors, the next academics can come from various places that wasn't possible before to come into university as well. So that is really well said, Harin, and thank you for sharing that. And it brings me to kind of next point, which is, do you think the role of higher education will change? Uh, I know, talk about MOOCs, you talk about nano components of the degree. Uh, what do you think higher education will be actually doing going forward, right? Do you think the type of stuff that will be taught will be different to the type of stuff that were taught before? I think so earlier I mentioned that uh, higher education was under pressure in terms of, you know, finances, value for money. But COVID has also shown that higher education has a big role to play in society. What it is about the research that we do uh, in finding vaccines uh, or understanding, you know, social lives and people behavior and so on. So my hope is that HE will focus on doing things that are beneficial for the society. It's not just about the education, but how could this education transform society? If you look at what's happening today, if you take fake news, for an example, how do people know that what's fake and what's not? Education is so important today to make sure that we understand we are able to distinguish between the right and wrong. So universities should focus a lot more than just teaching and offering degrees, but say, how can our society become better? How could we liberate society so that everybody is achieving their full potential and they understand what's going around in the world. So, yes, of course, providing education, doing research is important, but I think impact of that should be far greater than what it is now. 100%. And, you know, the other thing that we'll talk a little bit more about is how education is this driving force behind countries' economies, countries' socio-economic fabric, the culture you know, the modernization of education, right? We'll talk more about that in a second. You know, it's not about solving problems and creating advanced skills. It's about entrepreneurship. It's about capacity to create things that wasn't possible before. You know, stay with us. Once again, you're listening to the Knowledge Institute, the Brilliant Basics edition, where we talk about the future of education. We are here with Harin, Dean of School of Computing, Reader in Computer Science at the University of Buckingham. Harin, thanks for being with us today. Let's kind of shift gear and talk about an exciting topic that I'm really passionate about, and so are you, which is enterprise and university partnership, entrepreneurship, and the changing impact of technology into education, which is an area that you cover quite well. And one of those areas is what you call is education 4.0, right? And we have heard about industry 4.0 from World Economic Forum. We've heard about how, you know, entrepreneurship, education aid student with a different kind of skill set that wasn't possible before. At least when I was at University of Buckingham, I didn't get what the students can get today, for example. So I'm excited about 
arming them with that. But let's kind of, you know, hear from you. What do you mean by education 4.0? Of course, I know I have to mention our Vice Chancellor, Sir Anthony Selden, who's a thought leader in this area on education 4.0. So if you look at the current model, we are, we are essentially pretty much like a, a factory type model, whether it is higher education or uh, school education. Large classes, all students are learning at the same pace in, in the same way. We are manufacturing students and graduates. That's kind of way it is. But the reality is that we enter education system at different levels. We learn things in different ways and our interests are different. So education 4.0 is about ensuring that each learner has their own personalized learning journey, recognizing that we are different. So how can we make sure that there's a different way of learning based on your preferences, based on the way you understand some understand something faster than others, and so on. And it's also about how can we free up the teachers, the lecturers, their time from doing things that are not directly contributing to the student's learning so that they can spend more time with the individual student. So that's really about education 4.0. So it, it's, it's about the use of immersive technology, such as virtual reality, augmented reality. It's about the use of artificial intelligence for adaptive learning. It's about use of data science to, uh, for uh, predicting students' outcomes and so on. Yeah. World is becoming really a database of, you know, searchable knowledge, right, at our fingertips, right? <laughs> You know, what used to be a reams and reams of books that we used to read and, and write about in, you know, in terms of things like handwriting, the rules of spelling and grammar, foreign languages, almost everything that could be automated with technology has been automated and will be automated, right? So the skills that you teach in future, to your point about Education 4.0, is about very different kind of things that you teach, right? And like you said, you know, your teachers and professors becoming free to teach other kind of stuff. Also, I think universities' role in defining the learning journey to be useful when the students join their first job, which we, ha- you and I have talked a lot about, right? In terms of do they have the ability to operate in a productive way on day one? universities have a role to play in that journey as well. So, you know, my question to you is, have you seen this change happening in your own role and, you know, within university already? Yeah, so we try to embed those employability skills and work-ready skills. It's a different, difficult balance for the university to make sure that they have all the, the academic knowledge and those competencies. And at the same time, ensure that day one, they are ready for the work environment. There's no doubt that the work environment changes at a much faster pace, particularly in in computing technology, than it is at a university level. So what we do is we try to provide students with work experience opportunities, ensure that our curriculum receives expertise and guidance from industry experts through industry advisory boards. 
and uh, we make sure our students get to solve real life problems through hackathons and, and so on. These are coming from industries, solving uh, challenging problems. And just in a, in a more broader sense, we're talking about the technology, what we need to learn today are different than what we, you know, we used to learn 10, 20, 30 years ago. You know, those days, you know, we had to learn everything and the machines did some of the physical work. But nowadays, machines can do a lot of knowledge-related things. You know, you, you can ask Google or Alexa, ask a question, they answer. So we are kind of coming together now in terms of our capabilities, human and the machine. And you can see that the humans will move ahead of us in terms of knowledge and some of the physical things that they can do. They will do better than us. So then the question is, in the future, what do we have to teach our students? And I think here, the more human quality, human attributes are going to be more important. So things like emotional intelligence, empathy, compassion, kindness. These are the things that will differentiate humans versus the machines that we'll have in the future. Because there will, be, there will come a point that we won't be able to compete with machines in certain aspects. But machines will not be able to understand your client, your customer, the way a human being can understand. Understand your customers, you know, what, what do they like? What sports teams do they like? What, what is their family like? You know, their, their son and daughter, do they play cricket or the daughter likes football? And it's important to have that understanding when we're dealing with people. And machines are not going to be there for quite a long time. That's a fantastic way of wrapping that point because, you know, I also think, do you just kind of paraphrase what you said? You know, it's not just about remembering a lesson. It's about learning how to solve problems, right? And I think because one is a, getting from A to B, other one is transferable skill, A to B to C to D, right? And I think that's what the bigger change that Education 4.0 and, and the Vice Chancellor is also kind of promoting that in a big way, which means that the role of teachers and professors and academics will also evolve, right? They need to learn themselves about new things that they're not used to. And, and we have seen that kind of evolving as well. What are some of the misconceptions or opportunities that university like yours, first of all, have, because students are still trying to relate to an university in the choice process, right? Uh, you know, I really enjoyed University of Buckingham experience, small, tight course. I was on a scholarship just like you, and I was very lucky to be part of that journey. But, you know, with regards to the professors kind of, you know, thinking about their own growth, right? It's an important area, and it's not just about students learning, it's about professors and academics learning as well. So, so let's talk about two parts. One is the misconceptions that you see, and the second is you know, opportunities that this misconception or lack of provides professors to also kind of grow in their own learning journey. So first of all, there's a misconception that the students of the younger generation is well ahead of technology than than the lecturers, the professors, and so on. So we, we always say, well, students will know everything, so why are we worried about it? But that's not the case, because students are not just a particular generation. And students don't necessarily come from one particular country or in, in one particular city. 
So in some cases, they, they may have their own laptop, their PC, tablet, smartphone. But in other cases, they may not necessarily have all of those things. You know, different countries, the education system is different. So even students at, you know, at the same young age, their skill set, their exposure to technology is different. And more broadly, you know, we, we, you mentioned lifelong learners. That means we are all students, no matter what, which age we are. And at this particular time, we are expecting mature students to return to university to upskill, reskill. And their background is different. So, you know, that's that one misconception to assume that every student will come to the university at the same level of use of technology and so on. Now, then you have uh, academics generally known to be uh, not so good with technology or keep it, keeping up with technology. And you saw earlier how, how my, my younger brother sorted out my headphone and everything and I had to wait for him to do stuff for me. Yeah, that's called active surrendering. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was so amazed and, and really proud of my team for the way we all supported each other and how we learn to use this technology to do remote learning, online teaching in just two weeks. I, I know some of my colleagues, um, you know, they, they get scared when you know, having to operate um, a, a smartphone or some new software. But we all got together, supported each other and learned some of these new things. So sometimes circumstances make us do things that you know normally we wouldn't want to do and uh, i think if, if there's a will and if there's a recognition that we have to adapt and we have to adapt fast or or basically we can you know uh, perish uh, people will make those changes yeah and um, you know i think you're right i think with the necessity comes innovation as well right and i think that also creates opportunities for all kinds of things and you know with regards to talking about the future, um, you know, with the, and you're in a very exciting field with computer science and you're kind of ahead of technology and the areas like you said around computer vision, immersive learning and things like that. It's a really kind of, you know, bleeding edge areas with, with regards to the enterprise and university partnership, all right? And I know that you are already kind of driving that forward with a number of enterprise partners. What do you think that both enterprise and university need to do to kind of inculcate more of that? Because that can only create more opportunities, both for enterprises and, of course, for university students' practical learning. First, I, I, I want to mention something I forgot earlier when we talked about, you know, should students go to university now or differ? Another thing they might want to consider is about being innovative and entrepreneurial. Because this is a time there are so many opportunities. If you want to start up something, fantastic. There are so many problems out there that need solutions. So if you are taking a break or, you know, if, if you're one of those thousands of people who unfortunately lost your job, you could come up with innovative solutions and, and transform society. So that's just something I wanted to mention. Now, universities are fantastic knowledge base. There's so much expertise within universities. However, what we tend to lack is 
a good understanding of some of the opportunities or the real life problems that are out there. And that's where the enterprises come in. Because enterprises always think about what's the next big challenge that we need to solve in real life, not in not theory, not on paper, not write a research paper. And what are the new opportunities? Where is the next market opportunity? So that's the difference. So the end, universities have this fantastic repository, you know, an ocean worth of expertise. Enterprises, they don't necessarily have that level of expertise, but they know what needs to be done. And that's where I believe that marriage needs to happen so that you tap into that vast knowledge of universities, made the transfer via the enterprises, and you jointly come up with you know, solutions to some of the biggest problems that we have. It's not something that we can done individually. And do you think uh, the curriculums will evolve because of that? Definitely. So we, you know, we, we are already embedding entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial thinking within our curriculum. Even within computing, which is why dedicated modules on entrepreneurship, or we have startup weekends where students have to come up with a solution to a real life problem and not just a solution, but to talk about or think about how are they going to actually commercialize this. So they have to think about that, have the startup mentality. And even if they don't start up something of their own, they need to have a good commercial awareness. Because, you know, uh, tech companies of decades ago are no longer there. They're not thinking the same way. Every tech company is being entrepreneurial all the time. So when graduates go join such a company, they, they have to think about uh, how could I contribute to the commercial side of the organization? You know, today's software developers are not going to be sitting in a basement or an attic and just write, write code. Their role is very different. So we embed entrepreneurship by having guest speakers from industry, having industry-sponsored hackathons, where you, you have to even work with students in the business school, in a team, and think about your technical solution. How am I going to take this into a, a market? How do I commercialize this thing? How do I grow this as a company? Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I think... What is really exciting is that it feels like a partnership, right? And I think that's a key word. It, it's not, I think it's also the, the opportunity to kind of be fast in approaches, right? Try new things. Love this concept of a hackathon with the enterprise partnership. You're solving real practical problems. I also think that the curriculum that I had at university, um, you know, without giving away my age 24, 25 years ago, and the curriculum that we are seeing now, even co-curriculums, right, is just incredible, uh, incredibly diverse. I like this kind of word that you use, commercial awareness or commercial maturity in doing something technical is so important in making it viable, making it feasible, making it desirable, right? So I think that's a really exciting progress with regards to that partnership, which brings me to the point that we are discussing yesterday, which is some of those technologies also should some of the human basic problems in the world that we might face or we are facing right now, be it finding a vaccine for COVID-19 to solving some of the healthcare challenges in Africa to some 
issues with water as a population grows, like you're saying yesterday, the problems also grow with that, right? So, you know, what do you think universities and for that matter, technology can do to solve some of these basic problems and how to inculcate that into the academic programs? Yes, I mean, we talked about how, how we're kind of back to solving or, or looking at our basic needs in terms of food, water, shelter. I mean, it's, it's amazing that with all the progress that we have right now, we, we've seen commercial um, space uh, f- flights going, going on, NASA using commercial flights, and, and yet so many parts of the world, people just don't have clean water, you know, a meal a day. I think technology will have a huge role to play. For an example, we are working uh, with industry partners on uh, smart agri-tech. How can we use pesticides in a very targeted manner instead of spraying all these, you know, sometimes, you know, unhealthy chemicals all over a farm? Because not every part of a farm is affected by pests. Could we use technology to capture which part of a farm is affected by pests and then make sure we spray any kind of pesticide only in those areas. Um, And also about, you know, the use of uh, resources, use of water in in, in farming. At the moment, we just water every day. Plants need the water or not. But we can do it in a much uh, smarter way as well. Then look at the, uh, the distribution of all the food, the, the wastage. How can we use technology, AI, data science to get more accurate predictions of what is needed well in advance so when we grow things, we grow only what we need. And we then combine our storage requirements based on that need in the future. We combine our transportation based on that need so we, we don't have so many you know, trucks and ships going around in the world. So I think AI, data analytics, et cetera, has a big role to play in terms of being very smart, being very efficient in the way we do things so there's less wastage. I completely agree. And I, I didn't look at it from that perspective, Harin, but what you're saying is solving some of the real problems with the lens of technology. And, you know, with COVID-19, what we have seen is people are only buying necessary items, which has led to people starting to operate in a very different world than they've operated in the past. You know, you're not wasting as much food, for example, and, and things like that. And, and also the mother nature is getting a time to heal. But I think what you're saying is with technology, it can continue to heal if we use technology in advantage of the basic needs that you're describing earlier as well which is really exciting. And, uh, and by the way, you know, I'm, I'm super excited about from Brilliant Basics, Infosys and University of Buckingham partnership as well that we are talking about. So I'm hoping that, you know, we can build on the work that uh, University of Buckingham already done. And we are operating as, as a joint team to solve some of these problems, but also some of the commercial opportunities we are seeing with, with our clients new and, uh, and existing as well. So, so thanks for uh, being a champion of that at the university. And thank you, Anand. I mean, we are we are really, really excited about working with you and, and the team at Brilliant Basics and, and hopefully with the wider Infosys team as well, because you have a wealth of expertise that 
uh, an experience that you know we would like to bring in into the university embedding more entrepreneurial thinking within our curriculum embedding design thinking within our curriculum we tend to be very good at some of the the technical side of things and the coding but not so good in the design thing and looking at the user perspective so i'm really excited about that we are entering into a partnership and working together and i think the, you know i mentioned earlier universities making an impact on society it's not just about students coming with degrees but the bigger impact and i think that's what we are we are looking at with this partnership making a real impact on the world amazing what a way to uh, have this conversation it's timely it's topical it's exciting thank you so much harin for your for your time and contribution uh, and thanks for persevering with me as well throughout this uh, remote podcast that we have been recording you are in buckingham we are in london in our different homes uh, and we're recording it remotely and that's the magic of technology as well so thank you for that thank you for talking so eloquently about the academia and the enterprise partnership i'm going to just shift gear to something personal it's about favorite book that you're reading or you've read we have a tradition in our, on our podcast to talk about that and also why that book is uh, your favorite well it's it's a bit difficult to pick one book as my favorite book I think I'm going to go back to my childhood. One of the books that I really enjoyed reading is a Sinhalese book uh, from Sri Lankan author called Martin Vikramasinghe, probably one of the the best author Sri Lanka has produced, called Gumperalia. Came out sometime in I think 1944. It's it's a story about a, a family, quite a high caste family, well-to-do family, but it was a time that. Sri Lanka was going through a change where you know the well established families who had a lot of wealth but they weren't really keeping up with change and that causes this uh, kind of whole downfall of that family so it talks about you know the, the caste system that we had and, and and unfortunately to an extent is still there but it also talks about family the parents and children the love parents have for their children and the respect and loyalty dedication that children have towards their parents even sometimes they're not happy with what parents are thinking about it's this also about the romantic engagement between a, a teacher who's coming from a lower caste family and and the daughter of this family and you know they like each other but the parents won't let them do anything um but in in the towards the end this teacher who gets a good education goes to the city and start to do really well whereas the family you know uh, year on year they unfortunately you know they go go down and it also you know brings back to things we talked about education how education can be liberating how it gives us opportunities it also talks about the need to change need to adapt with the times or or you will struggle to survive and for those reasons i really like that book called gumperalia uh, by martin wickremasinghe that's that's amazing that's really well described and very timely book as well and and the and the role of education in in liberation is, itself arin how can uh, people find you online or uh, by email would you mind uh, sharing that I think the only social media platform I'm in is on LinkedIn so it's Harin Selaheva and my work email address is online at university 
harin.selheva at buckingham.ac.uk. Easiest way is probably, you know, search Harin and University of Buckingham and you can find me. That's brilliant. Thanks, Harin, for your time. Thanks for your contribution. Uh, like we started this whole podcast with the time of intense change. And after speaking with you, I feel and I believe that there's a lot of hope and a lot of excitement for not just for students, but also enterprises as well. Uh, and it's a really exciting times for University of Buckingham itself in terms of its own evolution. So I'm excited to kind of keep a keen eye on that. Thank you so much for a very highly interesting uh, discussion. Uh, everyone, you've been listening to the Knowledge Institute, the Brilliant Basics edition, where we talk about digital disruption, design and future work. Today, we talked about future of education with Harin. Thanks to our producer, Yulia Depari and the entire Knowledge Institute and Brilliant Basics team. Until next time, keep learning and keep sharing and also keep safe in these unprecedented situation we are in. 